0: Welcome to Writing on Caffeine, the podcast where you can come along on a journey with a father and daughter as we attempt to write our first novels. I am Jonathan Franzone, and this is my daughter.
1: I'm Reagan, also Franzone.
0: Due to illness, we are again meeting at my house instead of our usual location at the Coffee Break Cafe And today I am just drinking water because it's about four in the afternoon. What Mm -hmm. are you drinking?
1: I'm drinking a lukewarm caramel iced coffee from McDonald's.
0: (laughs) You went high quality there. High quality. Today we would like to talk about world building, building the world inside your novels. So I guess the first question is, what is world building
1: I mean, apart from its kind of self-explanatory name, I guess it's creating all the tiny little nuances of the world that your characters live in, the kind of people that live there, demographics, geography, magic systems, the kind of money they use.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Great definition. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, we have a list that we'll go through. So the first one we'd like to talk about is setting There are different categories of this. It can be on Earth, the actual Earth that we actually live in, or it could be Earth-like. This would be a world that's similar to ours with humans and all of the different things, but maybe not necessarily the same countries or continents even. And then it could be completely alien, so a completely different world, not the same continents, maybe not even continents at all. Maybe there's no ocean. So you're going to have to decide that for your novel. Which have you gone with?
1: The novel I'm attempting to write is Earth-like. And I feel like most fantasy novels are Earth-like.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Unless,
1: unless you know, go with like sci-fi fantasy and then you can hit up Alien. But <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Earth settings. For me, it's difficult to read and to write in just Earth settings because they're like, I'm walking down Main Street in Chicago, and I'm like, I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> How can I describe it when I don't know what that looks
0: like? Exactly.
1: I feel like I'm lying to people.
0: That's what Pinterest is for. <laughs> <laughs> um, you also have time period, which is a factor that you need to consider. So this could be futuristic, obviously, if it's a science fiction novel.
1: Or um, dystopian.
0: Or dystopian. You'll be want to be in the future sometime. It could be near future or... Extreme future, um, it could be modern, like set in current times, or if it's like not Earth-like, or it's Earth-like, or even alien, it could just be um, like a modern type things that we're comfortable with now. Or it could be ancient, and I, I feel like a lot of the fantasy novels that you like, dragons and knights and stuff, mm-hmm. fall into the ancient category. I guess more medieval times, so kings and castles, and
1: yeah, that's that's where I'm working from
0: so next we have tools and utility is the category i put this under you have to decide sort of what the tools of your world are going to be what sorts of things um will they use to do different things um in a science fiction type novel it's going to be very technological um there's electricity obviously um it's going to be either modern or futuristic um, so we obviously have technology right now. We're recording this on a laptop with microphones. And if it's sci-fi, then you have spaceships and lasers and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. There's also a genre called steampunk.
1: Yep. It's not my favorite.
0: <laughs> you don't like steampunk? Uh-uh. Um, so steampunk is, is sort of wild, wild west type periods or Victorian era, but also there's this technology that's sort of steam driven but a little bit more technologically advanced than that time period was
1: kind of like brandon sanderson's alloy of law i feel like that was a little steampunk
0: it was very steampunkish and then he also adds magic or yeah i guess it's magic on top of that
1: magic and guns
0: yay (laughs) and then you have magic systems if your world is primarily magic based um so think um Lord of the Rings, um, you've got magic in that world. Even though Lord of the Rings really doesn't have a ton of magic, it's it's mainly about people doing really hard things. And then the magic is kind of there for an awe factor. So when Gandalf shows up and just shines a bright light, you don't really know how that works or what it does, but we're glad it happened. Right. <laughs> There's
1: not a lot of laws of magic set, set out in the Lord of the Rings, I don't feel like.
0: Right, exactly,
1: I know in in my novel that I'm working on, there's not a lot of technology, but it is kind of a little bit of alchemy right in use, which I feel like is a little bit more it's a little sciencey, but not a lot sciencey,
0: yeah, alchemy, the art of alchemy goes back pretty far, um, so there were men. Um, I think in Victorian eras and even before that, probably medieval ages, dreaming up ways of turning common metals into gold, Mm -hmm. which would be alchemy, but then also like creating medicines and things of that nature, Yeah. which I'm sure a lot back then was just some sort of alcohol and something to make it, I don't know, a different color.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dip the toe of a rat in it. Cure cancer. gross (laughs)
0: um so with you mentioned rules um with magic so what what did you mean by rules
1: when you're writing a magic system there are really two directions you can go and that's like a magic with consequences and a magic without consequences and when you're writing a magic without consequences i think the rule is you're not allowed to use it you can use it to further the plot but not solve problems
0: Right, exactly. And
1: when you're writing a magic with rules, set consequences like, you know, every time they use their magic power, they lose 30 seconds of their life. That's a consequence. They have to think about using it and they have to choose to use it wisely. And if they don't, there are big consequences that they have to
0: deal with. Exactly. Yeah, I think I first ran across this um, through Brandon Sanderson, actually. And I fear that this podcast may be turning into the Brandon Sanderson fan club. I was about
1: to say, we might have to rename this the <laughs> Brandon Sander fans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he talks, he has what he calls the Sanderson's law of magic, mm-hmm. I believe. And he sets this type of thing out in that basically, like you said, if, if the magic is is very powerful and is solving problems, then it has to have consequences. Otherwise it becomes like if you're in a first person shooter video game and you're just overpowered and nobody can kill you and you can just lay waste to everybody around you. There's no plot. Right. It's not interesting at all. It's not even fun to play a game like that because it's not challenging. So examples of this, like I mentioned in Lord of the Rings um, and Sanderson actually uses this as an example. So Gandalf's magic is not explained. You don't really know what he does. He can kind of make light on demand, which is useful. He can snap his fingers and make a fire, basically, so he can light his pipe. <laughs> and then sometimes he'll show up with this big flash of light and people kind of get knocked over for a little while. Um, but in all of those things, it's not really the thing that's solving the problem. Right. Um, he just kind of comes in and gives the good guys a little bit of an edge and then it's the hobbits and the dwarves and the humans and the elves all fighting, um, that, that solve the problems. So have you read or watched anything that would be a counter to that? Something that does further the plot?
1: Something with set magic laws. Right. Um, I I wouldn't. I don't know. What would you call Harry Potter? I would say that that maybe there's. I think that's kind of in the middle because they do yeah, have to much. know the spell. They have yeah. to practice it and to learn it, and they have to understand what they're doing with them. They can't just wave a wand and do something. Yeah. But then again, it doesn't cost them anything. Yeah, to once use they the magic. know how to
0: use it, they can use it endlessly.
1: So I may, think that might be kind of like a gray area.
0: Yeah, I agree. And thinking about... They do have to have their wand, though. They
1: do. Well, no.
0: In most cases.
1: Most cases. Um, they also have to, most in most cases, be able to speak.
0: Right.
1: Sometimes they can do like the in-the-head ones. The but non-verbals. That's, that's a higher-up magic. Anyway. <laughs> um, and
0: then there's also the alchemy in there, the potion making as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a cost-based magic.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think of something that has law like straight I'm I, I mean I've read a lot of anything by Brandon Sanderson has magic laws in it but yeah, exactly. trying to think of a different example which might be the book that I'm reading The Shadows of What Was Lost Yeah that does have a law based magic system but I'm still trying to figure it out so I'm only halfway through the first book <laughs> so I'm not not quite sure what's going on right now but I'm pretty sure it's law based
0: Yeah, so you mentioned Brandon Sanderson. Um, So in his Mistborn series, Mm -hmm. um, he's got allomancers, and so they they ingest metals. So they have to have the metal on hand to ingest. It's just small flakes that they put in, like liquid, like water or whiskey in (laughs) some cases. And then they burn off this metal, and they use that to perform the magic.
1: Right. But But if they use it too much, there's a consequence.
0: Right. And if... If they use it all, then it's gone and they don't have that magic anymore. Right. So that's obviously very strictly law based. I have a feeling
1: we're going to go over our 15 minute time period on this one. but um, Yeah, that's all right. Speaking of, like, you know, since we're talking about world building, writing a magic system is hard.
0: Very hard. I did yes.
1: not think it was going to be as hard as it was because not only do I have to think, oh, I want their magic to do this. But then I have to think, how does it do this? And why does it do this? At least for myself. Yeah. And then, like, what does it look like? Who does it affect? How do we know that they have magic? Where does it come from?
0: I've encountered the same issue with my book. Just for, I wanted different types of magic. And I wanted the costs of using the magic to be related to the magic itself. Which is kind of difficult. Because you could just, like... Say, anytime you use magic, you just get really tired afterwards, but it's kind of boring and it works for everything. Um, So I wanted the the type of magic to be related to whatever the magic is that they're using. Yeah. So if, let's say, just for example, if you're a fire mage and you use fire, um, there needs to be a cost involved that relates to fire or heat or something like that.
1: Fire blood is a good... Example of oh, yes. a book with a very set system of laws for magic.
0: That's a uh, Jeff Wheeler. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: But I think, I think the magic system that I'm laying out for my book has pretty good consequences, which I think is interesting. It kind of affects someone else. Yeah. So if you use your magic, you're not hurting yourself. You're hurting someone else. So you got to think about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love thy neighbor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or do you,
0: or do you, Right. We also have the category of geography. So basically this is what does the land look like? What does mm-hmm. this place look like? If the world that you're creating is on earth, the actual earth, then the geography is pretty set. Yeah. And as you mentioned, if it's modern day geography or even ancient geography and you're writing for a specific place, you sort of need to know about that place a yeah. little bit. So there might be some research involved if you're writing a story in Chicago in the 1800s. Well, I don't know. Y'all don't even know if Chicago existed in the 1800s. Say <laughs> uh, 1920s Chicago, you would need to go and research uh, what streets were there, what landmarks were there, and that right. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, also like what mountain ranges you might be interested in or bodies of water, et cetera.
1: Right. And that even goes into like history, like the history for my world. Like, is this mountain here because it was made or right, exactly. is there like something buried under there that makes it look like that? Or, you know, you could keep going. I feel like you could just world build forever and ever and ever. And I totally could. Yeah. I could just, I could just not write a book and just world build forever and ever and have a great time.
0: That is a danger for um, outliners, I think, is that you just want to play in your book for all time.
1: Go a little Tolkien there and <laughs> write a bunch of, write a
0: language. Right. Spend 10 years. A lot of that is going to be in a made-up world. Mm-hmm. So you're creating a new geography. The Mistborn series is a made-up geography. Fireblood. Yeah, Fireblood is. The Lord of the Rings is made-up geography, but it's kind of set in a way that makes you think that it's like ancient Earth.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Harry Potter is Earth, but it's kind of also feels a little made up because they're kind of secluded in like an unpopulated area.
0: Yeah. So they have to create pockets of geography that are not known currently. So that's
1: pretty interesting. It's kind of a little bit of both.
0: Although there is a Hogwarts now that you can go to.
1: There is. Not in Harry Potter World and Universal?
0: Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh. <laughs> like, wait, <laughs> we need to go see it. <laughs> like a
1: real-sized one? I want to go. Yeah. Geography was also something that's very difficult for me. I'm not good at, like, I'm, do I need to draw a map? Or should I just say, like, they walked north? Because <laughs> other people are going to want to know, I'm sure.
0: Right. Or maybe
1: they don't. Maybe they don't care.
0: <laughs> I think they do.
1: I appreciate it when there's a map at the beginning of a book, and I 100% flip back any time a location is, is noted in a book. I will flip back to the map and look at it.
0: Exactly, and that was going to be my point, is how many books do you see, fantasy novels, um, with maps in the front, and how much do you love them? I love them very much. I love them as I well.
1: saw a book that had a map, but it was in the back but it was fold out so you could have it folded out while you were reading that's very cool yeah
0: the next category is demographics this is basically who are the people on in your story could have just humans if it's a story set on earth modern day or it could have humans elves dwarves aliens yeah. you name it hybrids hybrids yeah
1: i tend to veer towards just writing humans Because in my brain, I'm just like, humans, humans exist. I should write about humans. But then again, I also, you know, have like some funky creatures thrown in there. So maybe in, if I write another novel, which I hope I do, you know, I hope I continue to write after I finish this traumatizing experience. (laughs) Um, maybe I'll branch out with species a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there is, um, I didn't write it down here, but flora and fauna is -hmm. part of world building. So, You mentioned creatures. You could have just the creatures that exist here on Earth, or you could have fantastical creatures.
1: Or even, I've seen a lot of books that pull from mythology. Right, yeah. Which is really interesting to me.
0: A great example of having different creatures, I think, is in the last Airbender series. Oh,
1: incredible.
0: So they have creatures that pull from different species that we find now.
1: Badger moles.
0: Like badger moles.
1: (laughs) Papa is a bison and a manatee.
0: Right. So that's very interesting, and it Mm -hmm. just adds a lot of color to your world. Yeah. Next we have culture. This would include things such as what are the foods that people eat or things eat? Um, What type of music is played and listened to? How do people dress? So what would be some examples of this? Obviously, we have culture today. So if you're mod- writing a modern day Earth story.
1: It's pretty simple to get the culture down.
0: Right. You just use the culture that you're writing for. So if you're writing one in um, New Orleans and it involves like voodoo people, then obviously you're going to want to get into Cajun culture and
1: research that. But exactly. I think another thing with culture is social rules.
0: Oh, yes. Um, so etiquette.
1: Yeah. Like when we meet someone, you shake someone's hand, but in, you know, your fantasy world, you might, you know, stick your tongue out or stick your pinky in your ear. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you you know what I'm saying though?
0: Right. Like even today, I'm um, like in some Asian cultures, you bow. Right. Whereas in the Western world, you shake hands.
1: We in America find eye contact to be engaging while other cultures find it to be inappropriate.
0: Right. So
1: coming up with stuff like that is different too.
0: An interesting example is in the way of King series by you guessed it, Brandon Sanderson. (laughs) So he has this thing where the women in that world have a safe hand and it's just like one of, I can't remember which hand it is. But their hand, when they're in public, has to be in a sleeve. Mm. It's not a glove. It's a sleeve that like completely encloses their hand. And for them to have their hand out of that sleeve is just completely inappropriate Interesting. in public. They can only have the sleeve their hand out of the sleeve when they're like with their husband.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. And as the story progresses, um, you see some of the women who are more roguish and kind of fighting and stuff... They move to more of a glove situation, which is a little bit risque. Yeah,
1: because you can see the fingers. You can see
0: how the, the, you know, the form of the hand, but it's still covered. Right. Which is very interesting because their other hand is totally just out there. Yeah. But he that makes it work and it, 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 it does add an interesting layer to the story. Which isn't really a driving point of any of it, but it just adds color.
1: Yeah, they do that in, in Jeff Wheeler's Fireblood too, with the, um, the Romani who have to wear the earring. Yeah. To show that they're part of the people. And if they take it out, it's like a huge deal.
0: I need to read that series again. It's so good. It is really good.
1: We need to start talking about him more, but also Brandon Sanderson, please listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we love you.
0: Please endorse us. <laughs> And finally, we have religion. Um, So most stories will have either an express religion or an implied religion. Even if they don't mention religion, that sort of is a religion.
1: When I first started writing my book, I kind of veered away from religion, like writing religion. But now that I'm getting more into it, I see it's actually kind of hard to write without some sort of religion. So I've been creating that, and I feel like it actually does really help drive the plot along. Yeah. Because it it gives you reason to be like, well, they do this because they're religious. (laughs) That's what the priest says. So you have to do it.
0: Yeah, one really great example of this is an author named Raymond Feist. Mm -hmm. He writes this series of books. Um, The first one is Magician, or it may be called Apprentice. Magician's Apprentice? I can't remember. Anyway, it's a fantastic series, and it's polytheistic, so there's multiple gods. Mm. His vision of heaven and hell are very interesting. So he has this view of planes of existence. So we live on this plane, and this is just the normal plane for us, but there is a higher plane of existence, and for us, that's heaven and there are gods there. But for the people that live there, those gods, there's another higher plane of existence, mm. which is heaven for them.
1: So our world is hell for them. Exactly. Gotcha.
0: And so for us, there's a lower plane of existence, which for us is hell and then a lower even. And I think it, I can't remember if he has multiple levels or how many or if it's just infinite, I but in if it would end
1: up being like circular.
0: Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Um, but in one of the books, there are multiple main characters that have to go to the lower level and the entire book is in that level. And it is like the story is written in hell. It's very dog eat dog type world. Mm-hmm. Um, people are just battle hardened and killing everybody. And that's a lot of that, but they learn to, to live in that world for a time and achieve their goal which I can't even remember what the goal of the story was.
1: So my question for that is when they're in so if they they're like bad in the world and then they like descend in the hell if they do better can they come back up and they can they like climb up the levels and start getting better?
0: Good question. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I would like to know that answer. We need to contact the author.
0: Yeah. Or just reread the stories. You could have a monotheistic religion, or a polytheistic religion, or even atheistic. Most of your science fiction novels are probably going to veer atheistic.
1: Mm -hmm. I read a series where it was, I guess, what, polytheistic, where there were 30 different gods. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you choose whichever one you want to worship, and you just go with that one. But then also... Like, later you find out that they're not actually gods. They're just beings that got trapped in the world. And so they're <laughs> trying to escape. Right. So that's really interesting when they do something like that. Is there, you know, a god here? Or is there right. not? Or, and it's a little, a little pushing the boundaries maybe a little bit. That's and interesting. another
0: interesting example would be the Marvel Universe with Thor. So in the Marvel series, he's just one of the Avengers running around with his hammer and laying waste to bad people, or sometimes fighting with other good people in Civil War, mm-hmm. which was a terrible movie.
1: And if we're gonna bring up Brandon Sanderson again,
0: <laughs> yes, by all means.
1: His his he's um, I'm trying to think of how you would describe that because what, would you call it monotheistic? Because in the beginning, it, they're they're only worshiping the Lord Ruler, right? Who is not a Who's really not a, a deity? God. He's just a dude Yeah. who lives a really long time. But then towards the end, they start doing more omniscient
0: yeah. god. I think it would be polytheistic. So they have different religions, mm-hmm. especially in the later series. Like Miss the Wax, Wax and Wayne. Series. Yeah, the Wax and Wayne series. And in the old series, the Lord Ruler, he's almost like the Egyptian pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So pharaoh was seen as a god. Or in Roman times, Caesar was seen as a god.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting to watch that progression because it's in that three book series that we go from having like one dude that we're worshiping into more of a polytheistic type situation, which I thought was really interesting.
0: That is interesting. I've never thought about that aspect of those novels. So wrapping up, what books are you reading? I think you just recently had a reading day you were telling me about.
1: Yeah, yesterday I was off and I read two books.
0: Two whole books? Two
1: whole books. <laughs> About 1,100,
0: 1,200 pages. Nice.
1: So that was fun. Um, I'm currently in the middle of reading the Divergent series by Veronica Roth, which is okay for a YA dystopian <clears throat> series. The premise of the book and I feel like the, the idea that they're putting into this series is really interesting, but I think they kind of overplay the teen romance, but I guess that's what I sh- deserve because I'm reading a YA dystopian novel.
0: Yeah. Most of them do focus a lot on romance.
1: It's not an appropriate romance. It's just too much. Too much. Like, I don't, I don't care.
0: <laughs> I just want to
1: know about the bad guys.
0: I have not read any of the books that I've previously listed since our last podcast, <laughs> though I still am in the middle of those books. I haven't finished any of them, but I just recently read Tactics by Greg Kokel. It's a apologetics book, basically, on how to share your faith, asking strategic questions. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it was a very good book. Um, I highly recommend if you're a Christian and into apologetics. Love that. Thank you for joining us in Episode 5 of Writing on Caffeine. We hope you'll join us again in two weeks. Please visit the website, writingoncaffeine.com, where you can view the show notes and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Bye! Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us in this fifth... (laughs) So close. Fifth... Fifth... Fifth Fifth... Episode 5. How about that? Mhm. <laughs>